year 2020. And the church is still acting like it's 1982. That's the year we were born. And 10 years into this gig. We are doing our best to help the church into the future. We are iPhone pastors for a typewriter church. And this is the Millennial Pastors Podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. My name is Eric Parker. And I'm Courtney Reedman Parker. Welcome to episode four. On today's podcast, we're talking about managing the system during a pandemic. Because congregations are more than the individual members who gather each week. And as church leaders, we're not only tasked with responding to the care of individuals, but for the whole body that we are called to serve. And so especially now, in the midst of this pandemic, we are acknowledging maybe more so than, than before that the decisions that we make are not individual ones, but decisions that impact entire communities, communities even beyond our own. Right, exactly. We're talking about groups where looking at how our decisions impact groups rather than individuals. And definitely one of the most important uh, things that I learned in ministry early on uh, was to think about my congregation as a group or a system, a family system that comes from family systems theory, which I believe began with the work of Edwin Friedman and was continued uh, by others. And what Edwin Friedman uh, saw was that groups organized themselves and operated and functioned uh, like a system. And I think he saw it as like the biological system, the system of the body of cells. And, and so he compared us to uh, cells inside of a body, all sort of doing our little things together, contributing to the functioning of the entire body. And then also talked about things like viruses or toxic uh, influences on the system and how that could throw the system out of balance. But thinking systematically has been one of the most important ways that uh, I've uh, found to think about my congregations as I serve them to help understand them and help figure out why sometimes the uh, behaviors and things that you might experience from an individual who are there don't always match the behavior and decisions of the group as a whole. And it can be a little bit disconcerting as a leader in ministry to experience this when when seemingly otherwise uh, rational, clear-thinking people that you encounter on a one-on-one or a very small group basis all of a sudden change their behavior into sort of unexpected and almost unexplainable decisions and patterns. And that is because they're operating in a family system rather than as individuals. We see this in our own families, too. Often, we don't see it in our families, but we can see it in other people's families. When you join another family, either because you become really close friends with somebody, or maybe you've, you've, you're partnered with somebody and you enter into their, into their family, and there are sometimes these moments of thinking, how did you come from this group of people? Because it doesn't always match up that or the opposite happens. You see the you see a person sort of in their their home setting 
and with with the people who have shaped and informed them and all of a sudden it's oh this all makes sense the reason that you do these things or the the way you approach life all all of a sudden sudden all of a sudden makes sense um in a way that it maybe didn't before um because systems shape us the way in which we act in our families in our schools in our churches they have a way of shaping and informing how how we make decisions within that group of of people i mean yeah it's like uh that's like the plot of about one third of romantic comedies right there's some happy couple that must for some reason go and meet uh one side of the family and hijinks ensue and so this is this is sort of what we're talking about how you know somebody somebody who's seemingly rational clear thinking can all of a sudden turn into a a crazy loon uh because they're with their family i guess that's probably the that's the romantic comedy version but we see it in congregations as well and maybe to give an idea of what we're talking about and what what a system can look like or to what it can be experienced like i thought i might um share some examples of we would share some examples of what our congregations that we've served over our time in ministry what kind of systems they looked like and so i'll go i'll share one you share one go back and forth sounds like a plan so uh one of the congregations that i served um i'll try not to be too identifying but people might have to figure them out one of them was like a, a it's truly an extended family system so they kind of operated like everybody was the, their cousin, their aunt, their uncle. So no, so it wasn't like a you know a nuclear family, so to speak, like a household family. But it was like an extended family. There was the assumption that everybody knew everything, everybody else's business, without having to necessarily share it. That everybody was connected and related. So you couldn't. You had to be careful with what you said and what you did lest you offend one of your many relatives or or somebody that you're connected to. And so, yeah, it was like an extended family, how they operated, how they made decisions, and how they functioned. Uh, so they were a congregation, but they, but they acted more like sort of, you know, they were at a permanent family reunion, always coming in and out of this, uh, this ongoing family reunion, which was uh, churches and church Sunday morning services and all the other things that they did together as a congregation. Yeah, it's, it's happened more than once, but one of the first times that I was able to identify um, the, maybe the peculiarity of a system that was new to me was when I was informed about a decision that had been made by council apart from a council meeting. And I, I responded to the person. I said, well, that's so interesting because I was at that meeting and I was at our last meeting and I've seen the minutes and I don't recall that being discussed or a decision being made at all. Because the conversation had spilled out into the parking lot and between a small group of, of the power brokers in the congregation who were all on council, but were making decisions apart from the official processes and procedures. And this had been going on for years. And it took me a long time to, to really 
peel back the layers to understand why this was happening and how it had been permitted because it just seemed so strange to me from the system that I grew up in that this would be that this would be even permissible right and and so understanding that piece that there were sort of these these conversations these decisions being made outside of the of the official channels uh was both illuminating and then to figure out how to work within the system to say okay so how do we how do we actually have that conversation at council because the two or three of you are on council but you are not council you do not you are not empowered to make decisions on behalf of the entire church council right it's like it's like the old boys club of uh, of systems and everybody just accepts that the old boys club the the group the secret group behind the uh the secret doors will make the decisions even though there's a there's technically a official formal body like a council that meets and technically should make the decisions the actual decisions are made by the old boys club yeah it wasn't like an old boys club it it was <laughs> an old boys club absolutely so it was an old boys club yeah i'm sure that's a fairly common one uh out there among uh, lots of congregations um, one of the other one of the other congregations I served was not at all like an extended family, but more like a small town. It was large. It was a large congregation, and it was sort of being the pastor of this congregation was kind of like being the mayor of a small town. And in the way that um, everybody thought they knew everybody's business in in the other congregation, in this one, uh, nobody knew everybody's business. In fact, there was always things going on that you just did not know about you could not keep track of so everyone had a piece of the puzzle but almost nobody had the whole picture of the puzzle except kind of me but sometimes I felt like I just had like the outline of the puzzle and wasn't always sure about what was going on inside and uh and and so yeah it was like being the mayor of a small town and and the decisions you make you never knew the sort of implications of who was going to get angry about some decision, who was going to react, who was going to like some decision that you would make a decision that, you know, 60% of the people loved and 40% hated or, or conversely. And so it was, it was always strange. And the way that, you know, it really was like a town in terms of the way they made decisions and worked the, the council was really were not political, but they represented certain constituencies and brought the views of certain constituencies to to the council and represented them in sort of making decisions and and operating as a congregation and it was so it was really different to 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 serve when you know coming from this extended family uh situation Both of us have some experience working with a shared ministry. And what was really interesting to me in that context, so both Eric and I served the same shared ministry. He helped establish a shared ministry of six congregations. And then he left to start a new call. And I was between calls and doing interim ministry. And so they called me to, 
to do interim alongside another pastor. And so it wasn't just one system. All of a sudden, my my co-pa- the co-pastor and I were having to understand six congregational systems with decades long history and ways of doing things right the way we do things here and often just like in families congregations assume that well this is how all congregations do this right you would say something as simple as you know are there any customs that you have in worship that we should know about for when we plan worship when we're with your community oh we just do it like all of the lutheran churches but we quickly discovered that even amongst these congregations that every single one had slight variations and changes even within the same liturgical service from our tradition so identifying not only what those pieces were for each one of those systems, but then also how they were forming a system and being sort of at the ground entry level of this new thing, establishing what their system was going to be and navigating that together while knowing that each one of the members to the the regional council was bringing with them their own ideas and thoughts and history about what should happen or what could happen. And so it was a much different experience of knowing and learning a system than being called to one congregation. I remember one of the exciting things about that, about that shared ministry and starting it up is recognizing early on is we did not have an established system for how we made decisions, how we interacted with one another. I mean, there were the six systems within the congregations, but it was the, uh, it was the, the system of how we're going to be together. It was sort of new and exciting. And to have the influence over how this was going to function, to decide together, hey, this is how we're going to make decisions. This is how we're going to have you know, listen to different people's voices and assure that there's representation. And so it was really interesting um, to be part of that very initial phase and to work with a group of people that really didn't have like an established sort of culture or system of how they work together, live together, how they function together. And so, yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, I can see the appeal of church planting is that you get to establish some of those things rather than spending a long time trying to figure it out in a long established congregation. And, and people just don't tell you, this is how we operate. Usually you have to sort of figure it out by trial and error and and by observing uh, people and and how they function and how they operate. So one of the other congregations that I served, um, I trying to figure out how to describe them. And I think, I think this might be the best, but I guess they're sort of like corner gas. Uh, for those who don't know Corner Gas, I guess you'll just have to Google a, a Canadian TV show from, I guess, the the aughts, the 2000s. Um, <laughs> it was focused on this, you know, the core characters all lived and worked in connection to the small town in Saskatchewan 
uh, centered around the owner of a gas station. And there was a couple of RCMP officers, a restaurant that was attached to the gas station. And, and one of the other, a couple other gas station employees and the best friend of the, the owner. And they all sort of worked together. Anyways, the point being, there was this core group of like the main characters. And then there was all these other characters, which the main characters sort of knew existed, but they weren't ever central or important to the lives of the main characters. And, and so, so it wasn't exactly a small town, but it was like this, like this image of a small town where the, the core characters thought they knew everybody. They thought they knew everything that was going on. And yet there's this whole cast of background characters around that are also part of the, the system that, that weren't actually all that well known. And so, so this congregation had this core of people that felt like they were all known and, and connected to one another, deeply connected and, and in relationship to each other. But then, and they thought the whole congregation was like that. And then there was all these other sort of people on the outside that were not part of the inner circle, were also members of the congregation and part of the system infected and, and impacted by, affected by the decisions that the congregation made. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, the sort of church of corner gas would be the, the best way that I could describe that, uh, that congregation and that, that system. So hopefully that, I think that's probably enough uh, examples of systems and how congregations can have their own personalities, their own sort of cultures, their own ways of operating and functioning as a group rather than as a collection of individuals. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, the systems are always bigger than any individual, although individuals can certainly have outsized impacts on systems, whether it's because they're toxic or they, they provide stability to a system. Um, the, the system is always larger than the individual, and the system is usually um, has, has a chance of usually not deeply impacted by the behavior of individuals unless there's a sustained effort to impact the system. Or the behavior of somebody over a, a long period of time is the other piece. But those are usually either the toxic people yeah. or the people who are the stabilizing forces in yeah. congregations. That's how systems change, right? Is people slowly chipping it away at the way that they operate and the way they function. I always found the image of the of the mobile really helpful. And when you pull on one of the strings of the mobile that it, that it changes where the, where all of the other pieces go. And I'm moving my hands about like those of you listening can see what I'm doing. I totally get it. <laughs> but this idea that when a person is um, added to a system or taken away, that it has an it has an impact to the larger system just like when you throw a stone into the into the water if the water is still you can see all of the ripples and and so in congregations just like in families when when you welcome a person into your family whether it is a newborn or whether it is somebody through marriage or any other time that you that you have a new person into your family or into your system, it changes the way that you 
do things. And congregations are the same way when you when you add a person or when a person dies. And and that can really change the way in which the system understands itself and and functions. But just like with families, often congregations lack self-awareness about the system itself. You're you're in you're in the forest, but you can't see the forest. You just see the trees around you. And what I have come to understand is that it's so important. It's vital for me as a congregational leader to understand the system of the congregation that I'm that I'm called to serve. That I do not feel that I can faithfully embody who the people are as that congregation of individuals who who gather under that that name um without having a a sense not just of who people individuals are but who they are as a collective what are what are they as a congregation passionate about what drives them where do they see god in their midst how has god been active in their faith and life as a community until that point and knowing all of those things helps to understand where where the next steps might be or could be so what resources have you been using to understand systems better i think initially and one that i come back to quite regularly um, are Peter Steinke's work on congregational systems, and one that sort of initiated my knowledge that this was even a thing was a, a book that I read in seminary, an Alban Institute book on congregations having a personality type. So it was modeled after the Myers Briggs type indicator. And was suggesting that congregations like individuals um, are are going to be more extroverted than introverted, will be more um, intuitive or sensing. And and so while I may not be out there providing Myers-Briggs indicator types to the congregations that I serve, it has been helpful to think about about the congregation in a broader sense rather than the primary leaders in the congregation that that there may be people that you see or that you talk to or you interact with more than others but that those people may not be indicative of the larger system The Millennial Pastors Podcast is made possible by a grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada. The Manitoba Northwestern Ontario, or MNO Synod, is one of five synods of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, or ELCIC. The synod covers 54 congregations in Manitoba and Northwestern Ontario from Brandon, Manitoba in the west to Thunder Bay, Ontario in the east and from Morris on the U.S. border all the way up to Thompson, bordering on Canada's north. 
the MNO Synod has a baptized membership of 17,000. Headquartered in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the Synod serves congregations through the ministry of the Bishop's Office and working in the areas of youth and young adult ministry, missions, outdoor ministry, social justice, ecumenical relations, stewardship, and guiding ordained ministers and pastors through call processes. The MNO Synod can be found online at mnosynod.org and on Facebook and Instagram. Check them out if you want to find a congregation in the MNO or if you want to know about their work. I hear if you call the office, you can just talk to Bishop Jason on the phone. talking about systems, but not really related to pandemic ministry, just more or less systems in general, in ministry, what they are, what it looks like, why they are important. And so acknowledging that congregations are systems, that they are more than just the individual parts through the lens of we are living through, we are living in and ministering within this global pandemic that none of us have lived through or had to manage before. And understandably, these systems, like the individuals, are experiencing stress. Yeah, I think that uh, the stress that that probably most of the systems are experiencing are are uh, pretty substantial experiences, and probably um, you know thinking about what other times in a congregation's life would a congregation experience stress like this. Probably, probably fairly similar might be a pastoral transition if it's a particularly long time between pastors. Um, another time might be if there's significant conflict in the congregation or if there's been an experience of abuse, somebody who's been abusing the trust, whether that's a ordained or lay leader, abusing the trust of uh, members of the congregation. So there isn't really a lot of times in a congregation's life when they're going to be experiencing this kind of stress. And all of a sudden, we all have this experience of the pandemic and this added stress and we're all doing it at the same time right it's not just one it's not just the congregation down the street it's not just that congregation that your you know friend goes to or that your cousin attends everybody we're all experiencing it all at the same time which which even makes it maybe even more stressful and more difficult to manage but at least you can look at your neighbor and wonder what they're doing at this time and say that's a really good idea or that's a really bad idea There's also no escape from the pandemic, right? There may be points in a congregation's life and ministry when it is under extreme stress, but you don't necessarily have the same stress in your workplace 
or with your family or your extended family or when you go grocery shopping. But presently, that stress is with us all the time. The adaptations that we are being asked to make, we are being asked to make in nearly every aspect of our lives with nearly all of the people that we interact with. Yeah, it's pervasive, right? Every everything we do is uh, affected by the pandemic, and and it just causes stress on the system. And I think I think you know there only there only are some very particular times in a congregation's life when they have this equivalent level of stress. But I do think there's a qualifier to that idea, and that is that probably most congregations came into this pandemic with this maybe lower level of stress about the future, about decline, about change from 20th to 21st century ministry. And a lot of the things that we were stressed about, we have almost had to do, we just had to actually do the things. And, but more so it's the realities of those stressors are coming at us a lot harder, you know, whether it's financial stress, whether it's uh, the stress about people drifting away and not coming back. You know, one of the things that I've really um, begun to think about during this pandemic is that for a whole variety of reasons, there's going to be a lot of people that we didn't get to say goodbye to, uh, you know, back on March 15th, and that we might never see or hear from again. And certainly there's the obvious reason, right? People die in life continues on in the pandemic. People are dying. People are getting sick, not just from COVID, but from all the other things that life throws at it, throws at us, cancer, um, other kinds of stuff. But also people are just going to drift away, right? I think there's probably at any given time, a number of people who are part of a congregation, part of a group. We're looking for reasons or, or ways to get out, to leave, to stop. And particularly as churches experience change and churches um, you know, undergo this metamorphosis from caterpillar to butterfly, from 20th century to 21st century, that there are people who've been uncomfortable along the way who've been maybe looking for the right stop to get off this train. And this is the stop. This is the really easy stop to just disappear and never come back again. And so I'm really wondering, you know, how many is it going to be? Like a handful of people? Is it going to be a measurable percentage of the congregation that doesn't come back? But I also know that there's going to be people that we didn't know before who are going to show up. And there's going to be new people. And there's going to be all of a sudden... So the group that we were, the congregation we were, the system that we were, pre-pandemic, even with all the other things that were stressing us about decline and change before, we're going to be a different group of people, you know, post-pandemic, and we're going to have different stressors and different, uh, a different system is going to be at play. And then during the pandemic, we've already changed. So we've become a different group of people. And naturally, because we're interacting in different ways, you know, people who maybe had an outsized influence on Sunday morning, all of a sudden don't have that same 
influence on the congregation and people who had uh, undersized influence and yet know how to, you know, make comments on Facebook and do that kind of stuff, like send emails and, and remain in touch, all of a sudden have an, have an oversized influence. We're already changing. Our systems are already changing in the midst of this pandemic, and they will not go back to what they were before. And so I think it's really important at this time to, to watch your congregation as a group, to observe, to keep tabs on how we're managing our stress and how we are changing and how we are um, how we're making decisions and living together differently than we were before. Right. Because if you have a sense of what the system looks like and how the system will respond to say grief before the pandemic will likely help you in understanding how the system will respond during the pandemic. Now, of course, there are always like wild cards, right? And 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 things that that can um, make that untrue. But I think most often we can we can predict future behavior based on past behavior. And so we recognize, okay, this is how this congregation has made decisions in the past around maybe things that we were afraid of or the level of risk management that a congregation was able to take on, but also recognizing that presently all of those pieces just are more exaggerated. I think in a lot of ways because the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah. I mean, people can live or die whether we choose to worship or not. Certainly that was true before, but not in a, such an active sense, not in such a, in such a way that, you know, just gathering to meet could cause somebody to live or die. Um. Two two ways that I've really noticed that are the ways our systems are changing already uh, have to do with our our capacity to manage risk and our capacity for risk taking. And so the first is that um, this this pandemic has forced us to really think about risk, at least in at least in my congregation, but I I know in congregations of colleagues and elsewhere to think about risk to to evaluate risk, to think about what we're comfortable with, right? And in a way, it was a it was a topic that was pretty infrequently addressed before in most congregational systems, I imagine. Probably maybe it came up when we were doing like our insurance review. Maybe if there was going to be a rental group, like, okay, we got to think about risk management here. But now we're thinking about, you know, safety and risk management in ways that we probably have never had to think of before. And it's, you know, it's really changing. Probably the way that we're thinking about it in this way is going to change the way that we, that we do it in other ways and how we apply that same thing to other, other ways, other things that we're doing as congregations in the future, past the pandemic. And the other thing is risk taking that I think is changing. And I think it particularly has shown up in conversations around going back to in-person gatherings in church buildings. 
And what I think is is incredibly interesting about that is that congregations are have been over the you know probably the past few decades as decline started to set in, you know, uh, congregations aging, less less money to do things with, um, and people disappearing. Congregations became very risk averse, right? You didn't want to invest in something that you weren't sort of certain that you would get something out of. So people didn't want to invest in staff. Congregations haven't wanted to try new programs without guarantees that, you know, you hire this person and they're going to put, put bums in the pew and money in the plates, or you're going to do this program and it's going to result in this big membership increase. And what's funny about the conversations about returning to in-person gatherings is there's all these, we would never, we would never do it pre-pandemic. We would never undertake such a risky, um, low yield activity as gathering in person for what has to be a small cross section of the congregation, right? It's not going to be the whole congregation. It's not going to be um, all the people that usually come to church on a Sunday morning. It's going to be a much smaller group. And we wouldn't invest so much time and energy and money into such an activity, knowing that, you know, we might only get 20 people that are going to come. We're going to need, we're going to need like seven or eight volunteers. We're going to have to buy a bunch of things like masks and, and sanitizing solutions. And we're going to have to put in time before and after worship to get the space ready. And then there's going to be 15 people who show up and it's going to be, you know, we already know it's actually not going to be very good. Worship is not going to, there's not going to be any singing. There's not going to be a lot of visiting. And so one of the parts that really sort of boggles my mind is this is a thing that we would just automatically wouldn't even consider doing. If some equivalent sort of proposal was put in front of us, we would never think about it before. And yet here we are doing this. And so I wonder how that's going to change our our risk tolerance and our risk taking in our systems going forward, you know, post-pandemic. Are we going to be as willing to sort of take risks and invest in things that don't really have sure, sure returns on investment um, post-pandemic. I probably think it won't be quite as extreme, but I wonder if it's just a little bit bigger than it was before, that could be really good for the church. Even a small change can have a big impact in the life of a system, right? And we know this based on if one person joins or family joins or leaves a congregation, how much of an impact that can have on a congregation. Just one family or one individual coming into a system or leaving a system. And so if just by being there, just by a person's presence or the lack of a person or family's presence can have that much of an impact on a system. Imagine what other pieces can do. So there's this, um, this constant refrain that I've heard over the past 10 years I'm sure almost every pastor out there has heard it, 
comes up in annual meetings. It comes up at council meetings. It comes up in conversation after church. We need better communication in this place. And for the, I mean, probably there's always some truth to that. But I've always struggled to understand what, what does this actually mean? What are we not communicating? Because in my 10 years of ministry, we have congregations that have moved onto email. People can text. The pastor is all of a sudden available, or not available, but accessible almost 24-7 in ways that pastors previously were not, if they were not just sitting by their landline. Um, we're online. We're on social media. We're, we're interconnected in ways we never were before. Bulletins are because we can have a lot more time. You know, every every congregation, every everybody out there is is become more of a um, typographer and and graphic artist, and so we are putting together fancier bulletins than we ever have with more information than they've ever had. And yet, people are saying they're not. We just need better communication in this place. I don't think that that's actually what people mean because. I can't think of what more communication we could do short of, you know, literally phoning every member of the congregation every time we decide to do anything, right? You know, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm in my office doing some work now. I'm going to phone everybody, let them know I'm doing some work. Okay. I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to phone everybody and tell them I'm going to the bathroom, right? Now I'm, now I'm going to go make a visit. I'm going to phone everybody, tell them, like, I don't think that's what people want. And because when you take it to the extreme, of course, they don't want that. Um, but what I really wonder if the actual issue is conversation is that people are saying we need better communication, but what we actually might have lost is conversation. So communication is out there. We have all the means of communication, but we aren't talking about our life together, our shared life together, and making as many decisions together as probably we did before, because without all those things like email, bulletins, social media, newsletters, you had to do a lot of that communication in person, one-on-one -on -one together. And, and I noticed that a lot, of, a lot of folks who hope for, want better communication are people who used to be in positions of leadership. They used to be you know, maybe on church council, maybe had close connections with, with previous pastors. And so they were in close relationship to sort of the nexus of where things are happening in congregations. And, and so even though communication has increased, has multiplied in the number of ways you can access information, um, conversations have, have not. And maybe even are becoming less because at the same time where we're sending out more mass emails and have more websites and have more social media, we're also often trying to push for fewer council meetings and fewer committees entirely and fewer programs because people are tired out. And so all those times when people got together to have conversation about their shared life as a community, as people in relationship with one another, those are disappearing. And, and so when I think from now on, when I hear somebody stand up and say, we need better communication, what I'm going to substitute in my own mind is we need better conversation. We need, we need more of a chance to talk through this and have that engagement about our shared life together and what we're doing together as a congregation.
Right. If people don't feel like they're part of the conversation, right, that or that the conversation has happened without them. Right. And they're now having to catch up to where maybe they think everybody else is. Right. And likely most of the time, most of the people are where they are. But if but if you aren't feeling like you're part of the group, you don't actually know that other people are <laughs> might also think or feel that way right and and perhaps because for many of the people not all but many of the people that that we are called to serve interacting by methods that are not in person conversations that happen um are really tricky right and uncomfortable maybe not even what you want to do right like i just don't even want to go there and and i sometimes have to remind myself especially in this time that we're living through that because we have lived away from our family for all of our married life and i've lived away from from my family from the time I went to seminary. So 15 years, I've lived hours, if not, um, you know, thousands of kilometers away from, from family, that the way in which we interacted was largely um, over email and telephone and then by more electronic communication, right? Um, and so it doesn't seem like a big jump for us to oh now we have to FaceTime for Thanksgiving dinner because that's already become a practice in our in our family for nearly a decade. Whereas for people for whom maybe it's your first time doing it, it's real it's really hard. And so recognizing recognizing the hard place that that individuals are in and how that then impacts the system, especially if it's, as we've mentioned, it's not just one or two or a small group of individuals who are experiencing this sense of, of being uneasy, right? Or feeling like they don't know what's happening. None of us know what's, <laughs> what's happening because none of us have lived through a pandemic before, right? And and information changes so quickly. And so trying to keep people up to date on information as it changes, as decisions are being made, um, is both easier because of technology, but also harder by virtue of the fact that we're living in a pandemic and the public health officer could get up today and completely upend months worth of planning that has been done. Just like happened last week. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, to tie that into maybe sort of a millennial pastor, uh, piece is I certainly noticed that, um, that a lot of, a lot of folks like this, you're talking about this change from, from this probably more conversational, personal relationship way of being connected to the life of a congregation to probably one that's more digital, more online because of pandemic realities. It's certainly also a generational one and a, you know, 21st versus 20th century reality 
And I really recognize that probably a lot of the people that I serve are used to having uh, different relationships with their pastors, closer friendships. Um, you know, a lot of my older colleagues I know are like going on holidays with their friends from the parish, are having people over for dinner, are having a lot of these connections. And a lot of it has to do with because they're, you know, from the same age cohort. They're from sometimes they're even people who grew up together and one of them became a pastor and is now serving congregations where they are, where their friends go. And, and for the most part, I've not had, you know, friends of my age or my cohort in my congregation to develop those relationships with. And on top of that, the way I, the way I maintain most of my relationships are, is online. It's not just by, I mean, certainly going for coffee with some people, but also as many times, you know, having a online chat, a text conversation or, or, or something like that, you know, a FaceTime call. So, so there's that move to, to online spaces happening for the pandemic generationally, and it's happening, you know, uh, from the, from the change, just the general change of society. And, and I think that's part of the, the communication conversation issue too. people who are, who have been used to, um, being in conversation more, more familiar conversation with the pastor. And it's certainly not that I wouldn't have familiar conversations with people, but, but I know that I just don't do it like predecessors did, like some of my older colleagues, because they pastored in a different time. They pastored in a time when that was one of the few ways, few ways you had to, to maintain those relationships. And now it's just different. And, and so I'm often reminded of that generational reality. And this pandemic has just made it even more, more the case um, that that pronounced reality exists, right? I've, I've been used to talking in, I remember I, I was involved in internet forums and having deep conversation with people online, like in, I don't know, the year 2002, 2003, so almost 20 years. And people are just starting to send these messages online in 2020. So they're 20 years behind in practicing having, you know, deeper conversations and what time is the meeting or whatever it is, you know, in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, what they're sending in terms of texts or messages or emails. Eric's always been avant-garde. Here's the thing. I, I love the access, the accessibility that technology allows. I love that I can FaceTime with one of my members presently who lives in an extended care home who I could not go to visit even if I wanted to because of COVID restrictions, that I can call up the nursing unit and schedule a time for them to call me from the iPad that their floor has and that I can connect with this individual. It's amazing. But I miss those unstructured visits, those ways of interacting with people and connecting with people that just so naturally happened, both on Sunday morning, but throughout the week too, as people would come into the office or to the church building to drop something off or set something up, or they were there for Bible study, or they had dropped their kids off for confirmation or whatever it was. 
I miss those pieces because that's where you pick up all kinds of what might seem like inconsequential information about people that actually deeply informs you about who they are and how their lives are structured and what is happening. And presently, there is just no way that I have found to keep up with with that type of interacting um, and sleep (laughs) and eat and care for our family and continue all of the other ministry needs. So there are there are gaps right now that we haven't yet figured out how to fill, right? The system, the system hasn't adapted or shifted yet. And I suspect that there will be some of us for whom there may never be uh, an equivalent that will, that will replace that, right? That the, that the system is going to change and there will be parts of the system that change as a result of the pandemic that will change who we are culturally and as church and as leaders and as people who gather in faith communities and and it will and it will be a boost to people whose gift sets um are sort of waiting for this to happen right and for others it will mean there's now a there's now a deficit right that 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 we now have to figure out okay so if the way that i engage in community is through this type of pastoral care this type of engagement how do i shift that to meet the needs of this system i hope that makes sense yeah it makes sense and you know i think i think we're all missing those and not just at church and not just as pastors, we're all missing those sort of unstructured, unplanned, um, or low plan, low planning um, connections with people, right? We're not having those, those dinners with friends. We're not, you know, or at least most of us aren't, but some of us are. <laughs> those dinners with friends, those opportunities to connect, we're not having them very often. Or if we do, they're a little more tense than they ever were before because we're always got the pandemic reality in the back of our mind. I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up and and people are and people are probably wondering like all of a sudden something that was probably very natural and an easy yes to do is all of a, you know, now is like a question mark. Do how do I do this? How do we do this? Do we do this? Do we do it online, right? Can we get grandma on Zoom? You know, whatever that question is. It, it just becomes a little bit more complicated and it's not the same as it was. No matter how hard we try, it's not the same as it was. And that's just really disappointing and frustrating for people. This reminds me of a comment that came up in one of our clergy Zooms a couple of weeks ago about creative energy and how draining it is to have to recreate everything that we've done in a new way. And and then the reflection of if it's really creativity or just shifting how we've always done the thing um, to a way that we can do it in pandemic times. And I've wondered if what is really happening in all of this is like w- the spirit telling us to stop. Just 
stop and use this time as evaluative and to reflect and to to discern what are the things that we have done you know where has where has god led us this far along the way and where is god with us now where is the spirit leading us in this time and place and how is the spirit preparing us for the place we are going to yeah i think the way you know the the feedback we get from the system often these days i think is silence right and and you shared that article a couple of weeks ago about the six month wall uh, with me and then with your congregation and i shared it with my congregation that there's this six month wall in terms of any sort of crisis and we were right at it and people's energy was low and now I think we're maybe just, at least I'm just coming out of it, but I can see others coming out of it too. You know, I, I had made a call out for volunteers like a month ago and got like almost no responses. Did the same thing now a month later and got responses. But I think it's partly too, is like if people are not responding, it's like they're not, they're not engaging. And that's the system telling you something, right? It's not just five people who don't have the common courtesy to say, <laughs> yes to something it's the system saying like we are not we are at our capacity and you are trying to go beyond our capacity in this moment right we don't feel like we have the energy we don't have the ability to do what you're asking and so part of it is to recognize that like the system is has spoken when when you know when you get these responses or non-responses for for things like this not answering is still an answer <laughs> Just yeah. like not making a decision is still a decision. Right. Exactly. The system, these systems have a way of, of making themselves known. Right. And, and so I think, you know, as a leader or as leaders in congregations, right, to be constantly looking at like, what is the system telling me? What is my system telling me about what's happening in our shared life together? Right. You know, because during during normal times, pre-pandemic, you would get little sort of hints from individuals, right, who would sort of give you these little warning flags, these little signals that something was up. But now they're coming from everybody at the same time. And so the system is informing us that, you know, it's in crisis, that, that there's stress beyond what it can handle. And so as leaders, right, to recognize, like, we are also at that place, we're stressed and at our capacity, but to sort of, to then to recognize, you know, I need to step back as a leader. I need to take a step back. I can see my system is under stress. My congregation's under stress. So I need to probably step back and find capacity. So that means, you know, restorative practices, whatever they are, like we took a bike riding this summer. Uh, you got into a lot of exercise, restorative practices to, to get some capacity, some energy back. And maybe it's dropping some of the things, the million things that we're doing right um, these days and stepping back and finding ways to inject sort of calmness, to be an influence of stability into a stress system, right? To provide that stabilizing feature. And I think the, the six month, you know, Twitter thread that we transcribed into pastoral letters, the six month wall Twitter thread that we transcribed. I think that was good. I think that was a way of injecting stability, hopefully, if people read it, 
into into systems so that people can get a sense of like how do we um how do we sort of find some some way forward in this how do we find a way forward in our life together we are not special right pastors are not special pastors are not the only or faith leaders are not the only people who are overextended right now everybody is overextended everybody is trying to figure out what does this all mean and how do i make sense of this and how do i make how do i make good decisions <laughs> right um not just about our life together as church but every time we make a decision about doing anything is is done through this new lens and one of the things that i i have continued to come back to in thinking about you know what does what does the particular system that I'm serving need? Um, but where where could the church, um, what could the church provide or how could the church respond in this time? And I keep coming back to silence and space and allowing people the time and the space to not have to be doing the things because we are doing so many things right now and having to manage so many things. Now, I recognize for the people for whom like doing the things is the way that they live out their faith, that's going to be really hard. So that's part of the system that will, that will need to be addressed. But nevertheless, what I keep coming back to in my, in my time of discernment and spiritual reflection about where and how I see God at work right now in this time and place with the community of people that I have been called to serve is that when I receive nothing back from an email with group after group after group, the feedback that that tells me is I, I just can't do one more thing. And I feel that in our life too. If you were to look at my inbox, you would say, well, you're not answering any of your emails either. Yeah. One of the, one of the, um, the best sort of one-liners I've heard in ministry is administration is pastoral care of the system. And, you know, to think about how we offer pastoral care isn't just necessarily, you know, going to somebody's house and having tea. It's not sitting at hospital bedsides. I mean, those things are vitally important to pastoral care. But it's also figuring out how to manage and organize your people. And it's not just administration in terms of, like, I got to produce a bulletin this week or, or send out the weekly email, although that is part of it. It's recognizing that we have that that part of what allows people to stay connected and be be part of a functioning system is being somewhat organized and cared for, right? And recognizing so the way in which I help to shape and organize my system, the way in which we talk about and have conversations about when we can our life together is really important. And and so to focus on maybe that piece right now, I think is probably a high priority and it and unfortunately, it might not always be an obvious high priority to everybody. And you, you might be, as the leader, the only person thinking this way, that I need to think about 
the, the system as a whole. Like nobody else might be thinking systematically because it's enough to think about my own life, my own family. But as as a leader, to think about you know administration in terms of how am I keeping, how am I participating to keeping our life somewhat organized, right? And and time and space isn't just doing nothing, right? Isn't pulling back yourself, but is planning for here is the space where we're going to do nothing. Here is the space where I'm going to offer silence, right? It's not it's not just pulling back and and making that space and hoping people figure out that's what it's for, but it's making it clear, right? I'm going to organize some space and organize some silence for my congregation so they have a place to go and be where they're not being demanded of, right? Because that's certainly what the pandemic is doing with us right now. It's always demanding something of us from from evaluating risk, from changing our behavior to just being worried all the time. So it's about intentionality, which is what all of ministry is about, I would argue, <laughs> is about being really intentional about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And and so with systems, knowing our people helps us know the system. And knowing the system helps us know our people. And knowing both helps see where God is active. Sounds good. I think that might be something that will come up in our next uh, podcast. So we're going to wrap up this conversation here. And I guess, uh, Courtney, where can people find you? I am most active on Instagram and Facebook, which you can find at C. Reedman Parker on Instagram, Courtney Reedman Parker on Facebook. You can also find out what my congregation is up to at Messiah Lutheran Church Winnipeg on Facebook. And every once in a while, you can find me uh, interacting on Twitter at... Reedman Parker. You can find me at the millennialpastor.ca. That's millennial two L's, two N's for my mother. Uh, you can find me at Parker Eric on Twitter and the Millennial Pastors Facebook page, and as well on Sherwood Park Lutheran Church's Facebook page. The Millennial Pastors podcast is made possible by a generous grant from the Manitoba Northwestern Ontario Synod, whom you can find at mnosynod.org. The Millennial Pastors podcast is written and produced by us, the Reverend Courtney Reedman Parker and the Reverend Eric Parker, with our theme song provided by Lutheran Outdoor Ministry in Alberta and the North. All other music provided by audionautic.com. This has been a couple of iPhone pastors for a typewriter church. We will see you on the other side. Bye for now.